You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Okay, we're going to go ahead and start. Good to see you all this morning in this nice blustery day. Actually, it's nice to see the rain, isn't it? So this morning we will be looking once again in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And we left off last time I went through verse 12 in chapter 3. So we'll pick up there just to get the context from 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let's open in prayer, and then we'll examine this text, which is a very rich text that God has provided for us. Father, we come to you this morning We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy each day. Father, we praise you for the provision you've made through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make the way for those who trust in him and repent and turn to him for salvation might be saved. Lord, we ask this morning that it wouldn't be a man's voice that is being heard, but that it would be the very utterances of God that you penned for us through your servant Paul. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to collectively gather, and we ask, Father, that most of all, you would be glorified. Open our hearts and minds and enable us by your Holy Spirit to understand and to apply these truths to our lives. And we ask this In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, the apostle in this portion of chapter 3 tells his readers that he had learned to press ahead. And he does so in three different ways. First, forgetting those things that are behind. Second, he looks forward to those things that are ahead. And third, he presses on toward the mark 
of the price of calling God, or God's calling. Prize of God's calling. In Paul's mind, there's a sanctified forgetting, a sanctified looking ahead, and a sanctifying striving for that to which God has called him. Now, Paul has already pointed out at the very beginning of this chapter about the evil dogs, those uh, Judaizers who were distorting and perverting the gospel by trying to get the believers in Philippi to follow them in completing their sanctification somehow by exercising and practicing of the law. Paul wants to address that, and he wants to go further to urge them on to their maturity in Jesus Christ. He wants them to know Christ and pursue Christ as he loved and did himself. So in verse 13, Paul begins with this. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Let's take an examination of that passage. This verse isn't a repetition of confessing his imperfections. Actually, it's contrary to that. He's adding something new. He does so by the word he introduces to them, brother. Now, Jim expounded on that last week. The word brethren could mean those of the same race or brethren as a friendship term, or it could mean simply brethren in the faith. Here, Paul is using it specifically as an endearing term. He wants them to understand he loves them, he wants to serve them, And even though he is remote and in prison, incarcerated in Rome, he wants them to know that he is pursuing Christ with all his heart and all his strength and all his soul. So the word introduced in this verse just shows his love for the brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. But the apostle is now wanting to guide their hearts away from these Judaizers and point them to Christ. He does so by bringing forth truth. Whenever we pursue telling the truth and somebody tries to introduce error, we don't try to rebuke them in the sense of trying to persuade them other than giving them truth. You point out error by bringing truth from God's word. And this is what Paul was doing. But he goes on, and he he hadn't achieved spiritual perfection, so he says so in this way. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Lay hold of what? What was Paul speaking of? 
Well, let's go back a few verses. In verse 8, he says this, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul looked at all he had done in the past. He counted all that as rubbish in trying to gain favor in God's eyes and his own strength by performing the law and living actually for himself, to better himself. He was proud of what he had done. Now, in Christ, he's ashamed of that. He puts that behind him. He doesn't want to count that for anything. Then, in verse 10, Paul repeats this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul in verse 13, he says this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of... Hold of it yet. Excuse me. Paul often uses the metaphors of athletics to emphasize or bring illustration. And he likes often to use the runners, the race. And last week I explained a little bit about the Isthmian games that were held in Corinth, similar to the games that were held in Rome, the Olympic games later. It's parallel to that. They had running events, field events, but the running event was where they outlined tracks or lines for each runner. And they had a goal at the end, which was represented by a post in this case, in that period. And their goal was to run with all their strength to that post, turn around, run back, and then run down to the post again. It was a grueling race. And the athletes who ran them had to have great discipline and concentration. <clears throat> they couldn't have anything distract them. So Paul likens that to the runners by saying, you know, I don't regard myself as being fully perfect, but I push toward that mark. I haven't attained it, and I won't attain full perfection in this life, but I pursue Christ with all my heart. That is his driving life force. Remember back in chapter 1 where he says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's whole life as a believer was totally dedicated to Christ. He suffered for Christ. He lived for Christ, he was persecuted for Christ, and he gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, when a runner runs a race, he has to concentrate. They have lanes. He has to look at the goal 
and look ahead. If he looks behind him at those competing with him, he's going to lose a stride, possibly trip or fall or drift in a lane in front of another runner. So it's key for a runner to look at their goal and keep their eyes on that mark. If you look backwards, likely you will trip and fall. Here, Paul wants us to forget those things which are behind. Now, what is that? In Paul's case, his failures, his sin, his trying, his attempts to gain favor with God by keeping the law, all those Paul counted as shame, and he wanted to put them behind him. Why? Because that would be a distraction. The Apostle John warned of this in chapter 2 of First John. He warned of people drifting away from their focus in Christ and turning to the world and the world philosophies. He says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. John's epistle, the entire epistle of 1 John, was given so that they might know whether they're truly saved. That whole epistle was like a fruit inspection. John was trying to have them look at God's standards and to evaluate as a mirror in their own life whether they're living for Christ or not. <clears throat> There's continual warnings in Scripture uh, we can recall in the Gospels where Christ reminded them of Lot when Abraham was taking him and trying to deliver him from Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, his wife stopped and turned back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Any time in Scripture where somebody starts to follow God and turns back, either in the sense of being apostate or drifting away, as it would be for a believer, if you do not keep on focus you can turn your heart and your love from God and alter it in a way that is debilitating for a believer, causing him to fall into sin and to much despair. Paul's forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which is ahead. The Judaizers were trying to snare the Galatians. Now, Cornell taught the book of Galatians, and they were always trying to turn the work of faith and the gift of faith into a work. They were trying to have them go back to the law, the Judaizers. And Paul went there and gave one of the strongest rebukes of any of his epistles. Believers sometimes have a tendency to look back and think of what their past was as a Christian in the positive side. They may look back and think, well, you know, I used to teach a Bible study or I, I did so much 
when I serve God in this one form or another and using my gift, looking in the past and trying to rely upon past works to serve God in the present is sin. God wants to work through each and every one of his children. He wants to, to give ourselves fully to him, to practice our faith, to live according to his word, and to bring glory to his name. So Paul was encouraging these Philippians to forget what was ever behind. If they had sinned, he didn't want them to be burdened down with that sin. If they repented of it and confessed it, it was forgiven and it should be forsaken. So Paul emphasized that. Forgetting the past is not just forgetting the good things we might have done, but thinking also of those things, those errors, those sins that we may have committed that might impair our thinking. And John MacArthur made an interesting quote, and I want to quote it. Many churches today have those who have become inactive or immobilized, spiritually paralyzed, because of grudges, bitterness, tragedies of the past, or sins of their past. There are others who try to live in the present by dwelling on their past successes. There must be a complete break with the past if one is to pursue the spiritual prize. God is interested in what believers do now and in the future. End quote. Jesus taught in Luke, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When Paul says, that was in Luke 9, verse 62, when Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, he means an active obliteration, a purposeful focus on the past, not on the past, but on the present. We can be totally immobilized if our focus is in the past. Paul maintained his focus by reaching forward to what lies ahead. <clears throat> Going on in, in verse 13, he says, What one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. <clears throat> reaching forward translates a form of the verb epikenteo, which literally translates to stretch, to reach out. That's what the word in the original means. Last week, I used the illustration of uh, Eric Liddell from that film that was made, Chariots of Fire. And when he ran, he ran with all his heart. When he would run, he would throw his head back and throw his mouth open to get as much oxygen as he could. And he would just move forward with every bit of strength that he had until the final end of the race. He poured himself in it. That's a picture of reaching forward. And that's the terminology that Paul used. The goal of the Christians should be focused on being more like Christ. This is a goal which Paul pursued. 
he also pursued to present every man complete in Christ. He expresses that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I hope our focus is that as well. It's so easy to get off track. We can get caught up in our work. We can get caught up in pursuits of hobbies. We can get caught up with all kinds of distractions that would take us away from reaching ahead in Christ. Believers are able, by God's grace, to live in such a way as to honor God with their lives and to pursue holiness and to use all that God has given them in the way of our spiritual gifts, our talents, and devote ourselves completely to practicing God's word. Paul emphasized this in Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Peter says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So as Peter was urging these that were scattered abroad, the Christians that were part of the dispersion, he is encouraging them. They were going through persecution, suffering. They had to leave their homes, their They've left their businesses and they're scattered because of the dispersion. Yet Peter brings their focus back to the one that saved them and the one that will deliver them and one day glorify them. We can take a lot from Paul's admonition as well as expectations in this passage. We know that God is at work in us. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have to realize where the source of our strength and power comes from. God has ordained his children to carry out his purposes And he does so by empowering us with his Holy Spirit. So the only thing that stops us is us. Our sinfulness, unrepentance, our distractions. But God wants to bring us back on the focus of him. One commentator on the book of Philippians uses the illustration from the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers... Chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt toward the promised land. He provided everything that they needed for the journey. They had shade by day and light by night. They had water to drink 
and manna to eat. The time came when the people ceased to look forward to the land, the promised land that God was going to give them, and instead looked back to Egypt. And this quote from Numbers 11, 5 and 6. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. God miraculously provided for them everything they needed for sustenance, leading them to the promised land. And what did they do? Murmur and complain. The people of Israel began to hunger for these things, and God taught them a great lesson by giving them the things that they asked for. He gave them quail until they grew sick of it. The point of the illustration is that begin to look back and they fail to trust God for their present and future blessings. And we may look at that and go, huh, those Israelites, the stubborn, but we need to look no further than at ourselves. We often do that. We, have, we live in a country, the most prosperous country in the world, God has provided for us food and manna and drink. He's provided all our necessities. Yes, some struggle greatly and have afflictions, but God also uses those afflictions to bring glory to himself as well as to conform us to the image of his son. This doesn't mean when Paul says forgetting those things behind that we are not thankful for past blessings because blessings that we have received from God we should always be thankful for and should rejoice in everything that God has done for us and in and through us. The focus for Christians as God continues our sanctification process is for us to grow and mature. We start out as babes, we come, become young men, and then we become mature men. As we continue to grow in our knowledge of him and his word, we rely upon God's spirit to continue that work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. Let's examine this a little bit. That phrase, I press on, denotes a continuous effort. And the word press actually means to push down. And it's a preposition with the root meaning of down. So Paul is giving again the illustration of pressing down, pressing uh, as a runner starts off, he presses down on his rear foot and pushes off. And Paul is giving once again the image of us continuing, pushing forward to a deeper relationship in Christ. He continues to uh, express... <clears throat> by saying, I continually bear down, that's the literal translation. <clears throat> Throughout the race, 
in a foot race, at the end of the track, when they see that goal, the runners encouraged, and they run and exert themselves with all their might. The prize was a continual motivation. For Paul to run was pursuing Christ in a deeper relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul, Paul wrote this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? In the running games in Corinth, the readers were familiar with this metaphor. In the spiritual race, the goal is Christ. That is, spiritual perfection in him. Though we pursue it, we don't attain it in this life. Should that be a discouragement to us? Never. We should pursue Christ with all our hearts. Remember in verse 8, when Paul said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own, but derived not from the law, but that which is through and in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. On the basis of faith, Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. We're not righteous. It is Christ in us, the righteousness of God. There's a couple of different views of what the prize represents. I'll give you the one which I think is perhaps a bit aberrant. One view by one commentator stated that the rewards are the crowns for some of the saints will receive in glory. I believe the proper interpretation is uh, that of the maturing of the saints to the full maturity in Christ. The prized is us being fully transformed into the glorious person of Christ Jesus. When we are in our glorified bodies, we will be like Christ. 1 Peter 1, 15, 16 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Peter gave this imperative to those that resided as aliens and scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Christ Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. All believers are called to maturity. Since believers do not fully mature in this life, believers may become fully sanctified when we're resurrected into eternal life. And we're with Christ and are in our glorified bodies. There will be no more sin, no more opportunity to sin because there will be sinless in eternity with Christ. The Apostle John speaks of our glorified state in this way. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be, 
we know that when we, he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When John's saying we will be like him, he's not speaking of deity. Only God alone has deity. We will be like him in holiness, sinless, and we will be like him in appearance, but not with deity. That has been used by some of the false teachers to try somehow teach that a person can gain deity. And I'm sure that uh, most of us have all listened to Justin Peter's teaching on that. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Now, this is a tricky portion of the passage. And in this verse, Paul is doing this, using, again, the metaphor of a runner, as well as Christians are in a spiritual race. Paul describes this by the phrase, as many as are perfect, describing the positional righteousness of all believers. That is, positionally, we are righteous in Christ. He's imputed his righteousness to us. Practically, we are in a process of being sanctified, set apart for God. That is the process. And we grow in that sanctification process. Since believers don't fully mature in this life, that is, have the fullness of our ultimate maturity, believers become fully sanctified when we're with Christ. This is the believer's hope, our hope and glory. When this body will be resurrected, we shall be like Christ. We don't obtain deity. That belongs to him alone. However, believers in a glorified state, we will never have to deal with that sinful flesh. Amen for that. The apostle declares at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, to me on that day. Now, Paul was at the end of his life, and this was like his last epistle, Second Timothy, and he was looking forward to going home. He knew that he was reaching the end of life on this earth, and he wanted to give them encouragement. He pressed on because of his love of Christ and his hope and glory. Again, in verse 15, <clears throat> Paul is not speaking about <clears throat> practical perfection. That would contradict everything he has said prior to this. That only happens, of course, when we're with the Lord. <clears throat> Paul was refuting those false teachers who were trying to tell believers that even though they were saved, they could be perfected by keeping the law. 
That's what these Judaizers were doing to the Christians in Philippi. Paul was rebuking them. He didn't want them to in any way teach these believers false doctrine. A Christian should have this same attitude that Paul had. Have this attitude. This comes from the word proneo, which literally means to think this way, to set one's mind on this. That's the literal translation of have this attitude. The Apostle Paul was a preeminent example apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the most mature Christians that ever walked the face of this earth. He served God, he lived for God, and he gave his life completely for the Lord Jesus. He was uh, an example to the Philippians. He was an example to all the New Testament churches that he planted. And he was an example to the unbelievers. He wanted God's gospel to go forward. And he wanted to exemplify what a Christian was like. He wanted to discriminate. He wanted to live for Christ so that they would see Christ in him as he lived his life sacrificially for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The apostle in this context was taking, talking about the inspiration given to the apostles for the writing of scripture, and God had instructed the Christians and empowered them to write the word of God. Christ has provided believers with the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey him and to sanctify us through his word. In Colossians, Paul says again, 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving to us in your hearts to God. In Romans 12, 1 through 3, another urging for pressing on in our sanctification. Paul says this in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul there is urging him on, and once again, we've talked about this in previous studies, but what is the transforming of our minds and how does that come about? 
the Word of God. The Word of God is transforming. And people say, well, why should I memorize God's Word? Because as you memorize God's Word, you will respond to God's Word in practical ways. You will be living and walking according to God's Word as the Spirit empowers you and enables you to do so. We know that God supplies the power and grace for each day. As we put into practice these principles from God's word, by the power and sanctifying work of God's spirit, we grow in Christ's likeness. Each day, we're not the same person. Though the outward man is dying daily, the inward man is being transformed, I'm paraphrasing that, and being renewed day by day. We have to understand that work continues from the time we believe in Christ as babes. He's going to continue the process of our growth and sanctification in Christ. Some of those uh, who had received this letter from Paul might not have heeded Paul's exhortations. So we have to understand When Paul exhorted them, he was doing so not to talk about how much he had done and how much he wanted to live for Christ and how much he pursued Christ to brag. He was simply trying to urge them on as his heart was for Christ. He wanted them to have that same vigor and that same passion to know more of God and to be more Christ-like. God gave us also the resources of what 2 Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need. We have his holy word. We have God's Holy Spirit within us. And he gives us grace each day. He grants us forgiveness when we sin, as we repent and turn to him and confess our sins. He has provided everything we need for life and godliness. In the early part of the earthly races, these men who these athletes who train for the races, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. When they ran a race and the winner went forward for his prize, he would walk up in the stadium to receive a wreath, which was made either of vines or branches, or some kind of plant. And it was wilted within a couple of days. They received an earthly crown. We receive a non-perishable crown. But we an imperishable. Second Timothy 4.8 says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all 
who had loved his appearing. Remember one of the previous verses that I quoted, all who run the race, the, only one runs the race. But here, Paul is telling us that we all will receive that crown of righteousness. All those that are in Christ Jesus on that day, either when Christ returns or when we die and we go to be with them. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will then, at that point, be glorified. The word however comes from the Greek word plen, which could be translated one more thing. And as Paul continues, I will pick this up next time. We're running out of time here. I just want to close with this. As many verses I quoted and the many passages that I went to, the emphasis was one thing. That is our focus. Our focus should be on Christ. He wants to work in us and through us to glorify himself and to build us up in him. He wants us to be conformed to his image and he will continue that work. Do what God wants us to do. He's called us to that. Our obedience is our humble response. It's not going out of our way. It's just truly, simply humbling ourselves before God that he may work in and through us and he might exalt us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified as your word is being continued to be preached, as we lift up songs and hymns to you. I pray that all that we do, that you should be glorified. I thank you for the saints here and those who are part of this fellowship. And I pray, Father, as we seek you and as we serve you and as we obey you, that you will cause us to be more conformed to the image of your son. We thank you for that, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.